They've been playing the game their entire life. From the playground. I promise to exercise and eat right. Don't forget 60 minutes of play a day, right? I'm playing the NFL. Yes, sir. I'm addressing number one. Maybe. To their high school. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. To the university. We have 95 players here, so accomplished as athletes in high school. We gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. Now, their lives are about to change forever. You become your mom's favorite player? Whoa. This is Locked On NFL, and this is the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft. Welcome to Locked On NFL. It is day two of the week-long Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. Brian Peacock here alongside the scout Matt Williamson. As we did yesterday and as we will continuing throughout the week, we've got all 32 hosts here on the NFL side of the network making selections for their teams, those teams that don't have first-round picks. We will hear from them on the final day of this mock draft. They will make their selections with their first picks, whether it be in round two or later, and some of them might be trading back into round one, so stay tuned there. We will hear from the analysts at the Locked On NFL Draft desk and also the Draft Dudes Draft desk, breaking down all of these picks Our friends on the college side of the network doing player profiles. This is a super fun event. I love getting everybody on the network involved for this extravaganza. And uh, for those of you just tuning in, if you haven't heard the first episode and you don't want any spoilers, go back, listen to Friday's episode first, picks one through six. We are on to picks seven through 13 in today's program, Matt, uh, I'm, this is a super fun event. I had a great time with episode one, and I think there's some interesting picks and potentially trades coming up here in the rest of this thing. Happy Easter to all. I hope everyone had a great Easter. We weren't able to go to my uncle's for the Bloody Mary bar like usual, but we did oh. do a massive surf and turf dinner here with the four of us. So we switched it up a little. Hope everyone had a great Easter and that this podcast are making these tough times a little easier for you, too. Yeah, and maybe if send the kids out looking for some eggs while you listen to uh, the podcast for an hour. I think that's a good, a good right. way to do it. <laughs> One through six are in the books. Let's go over those and then take a look at what could happen as the Carolina Panthers go on the clock here at pick number seven. Number one, and not, not a lot of shakeup on day one of this jockey. thing, but yeah. there was one big trade that changes things as far as the quarterback landscape goes and where those landing spots were. Number one overall, Cincinnati Bengals select Joe Burrow out of LSU. Washington Redskins take defensive end Chase Young with the second pick. Jeffrey Okuda, cornerback out of Ohio State to the Detroit Lions at three. And then we had the trade. It was the Los Angeles Chargers jumping up from number six in front of the Miami Dolphins to select Tua Tagovailoa, the quarterback out of Alabama, and the New York Giants moving back to the sixth slot. Then the Miami Dolphins take Justin Herbert, quarterback from Oregon, the third quarterback off the board at pick number five, and the New York Giants finished up day one, selecting the first offensive tackle in this draft, Tristan Wirfs, out of Iowa. So now that those six are off the board, Matt, how do you see this thing on day two, and who do you like as the best player available? Yeah, I mean, we saw Wirfs finish up last show, and I think there's got to be a bevy of tackles about to go off the board. There's got to be a receiver run coming up soon that might not end until round four. Both D tackles are on the board. I think there's certainly a a case to be made that Derek Brown's the best available player, unless that's Isaiah Simmons, who's just a unique wild card in all of this. Still three elite offensive tackles, I think, here. Those two defensive tackles are monsters. There's three elite wide receivers. I think we're going to see a lot of those position groups uh, flying off the board here on day two and probably into day three. Let's check in with the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, before we get to the Carolina Panthers pick at number seven. All right, it's time for the next slate of picks here in the Locked On NFL mock draft experiment here. The Carolina Panthers start the day with pick number seven. And uh, if things hold serve, we'll have the Cardinals, Jaguars, Browns, Jets, Raiders, and 49ers on the clock today. Yesterday we had a trade, or last time we got together there was a trade. The Chargers moving up for a quarterback. And it'll be interesting to see if these teams hold serve 
or if we see some more movement. Kyle, what are you looking forward to with this uh, slate of picks? I'm looking forward to the dynamics of the offensive tackles versus the wide receivers. Uh, we saw offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs come off the board to six to New York after a trade back on Friday. When do the rest of these guys come off the board? There's a lot of offensive tackle hungry teams in the first half of the first round. And we've got this trio of wide receivers who are all standouts in C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, and Jerry Judy. What order do those guys come off the board? Do we see the big four tackles gone before the big three wide receivers go away? That, for me, is the subplot to watch. Yeah, and the other team here that really stands out to me is the Arizona Cardinals. They traded for DeAndre Hopkins. They re-signed DJ Humphreys. Do they continue to build around Kyler Murray offensively and add an offensive tackle, or do they take the opportunity to go defense where that's that unit really struggled last year and they've made some modest improvements in free agency this year, but do they take a chance to get one of the best defensive players in this draft or Cliff Kingsbury? Does he get another toy for the offense? Yeah, imagine being the Arizona Cardinals and trading for DeAndre Hopkins and still having your pick at eight to show for it. <laughs> that That is a great luxury for the Cardinals. And between the signing of DJ Humphreys or the re-signing of DJ Humphreys and the uh, addition of DeAndre Hopkins via trade, uh, the Cardinals have built themselves a lot of flexibility here where there's a number of different ways that they can go. And that's a great place that you want to be as a team where you're not boxed in, you're not drafting specifically for need, and we won't have to wait very long to find out exactly what direction they choose to go. So let's get back to it, and let's see how today's fireworks go off uh, in this locked-on NFL mock draft experience. Let's get this rolling, Matt. Day two, pick seven. The pick is in. Let's go to the Panthers' war room. Hey guys, this is Bill Rossetti of Locked on Panthers coming at you with the seventh pick of the draft. The Carolina Panthers select Isaiah Simmons, linebacker out of Clemson. Now, I considered Derek Brown a little bit for this pick, but with the position the Panthers are in right now in sort of a transitional phase, kind of a rebuilding, retooling period, a player like Isaiah Simmons just seems to fit so well for this team because we've, of course, referred to him as a positionless player. You can play him in a multiple of positions, linebacker, safety, wherever. And a team like the Panthers just can use that type of player as that chess piece. And I think defensive coordinator Phil Snow would really be able to work wonders with him. And, you know, obviously the Panthers have that hole at linebacker with Luke Keekley retiring. Obviously Isaiah Simmons isn't Luke Keekley, but he still provides you that athleticism and that power that would help fill that void left behind by Luke Keekley. So again, the number of ways they can use him, um, would it help the Panthers compete next season? You know, not entirely, you know, obviously he can't do it himself. Uh, the Panthers are obviously looking at a down year, you know, the NFC South we know is looking really good, at least with the top three teams, the saints are still strong. The Bucks, of course, added Tom Brady. The Falcons have been improving. This is going to be still be a down year for the Carolina Panthers. I highly expect them to have a high draft pick again in next year's draft. But as Isaiah Simmons is that type of player that you can build around with that defense, and he's going to be someone to help get the Panthers to the next level over the next couple of years. Because I do think in a couple of years, the Panthers are going to be back as a competitive team in the NFL. It's not going to happen right away, but say 2021, you're going to start to see that rise come into effect. He's going to immediately become a star and a leader on that team, I think, because he's really going to help pick up a lot of the other players, which I expect a lot of other youth on that team as well. But Isaiah Simmons really has the tools to become a leader for many years of this Carolina Panthers defense. So, Really like the pick here. Really feel that this is that that perfect fit for a transitional team like the Carolina Panthers. So Isaiah Simmons, pick seven here in the Locked On Podcast mock draft. Isaiah Simmons, linebacker, Clemson. Or you can define his position as defense, as he told NFL GMs during his interview sessions at the Combine. The ACC Defensive Player of the Year and Butkus Award winner as the nation's top linebacker. Opening his career as a safety, 
Simmons did everything well from anticipating run plays that led to his 16 tackles for loss, rushing the passer, which led to eight sacks, or scampering back into coverage, leading to three interceptions. If you've seen Simmons play, you've seen his impact. He's been referred to as a Swiss Army knife by some evaluators because of his versatility. But that only tells the story if your Swiss Army knife features a machete and a battle axe. Simmons is a destructive force that can completely neutralize a facet of the opposing offense's game plan. After being given freedom to roam by Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables, Simmons showcased his talent for diagnosing plays quickly and blowing up game plans. Showing a knack for penetration either on the edge by beating tackles or swimming through double teams in the A-gap, Simmons is a wrecking ball. Yes, he's versatile, but that doesn't really express what he can do. His rare combination of speed, as evidenced by his 4-3-9 at the combine, and ability to defeat blocks means he is every offensive coordinator's nightmare. Simmons could line up as an outside linebacker, rush from a down position, and Clemson, he roamed the middle often, even returning to his roots as a safety to track down linebackers and slot receivers in coverage. Which brings us to Simmons' only weakness, his role within a defensive game plan. Simmons, like so many generational talents before him, has to be paired with the right defensive coordinator to fully access his potential. A chess piece is only as good as the player controlling it. Simmons has a chance to be great if he's under a creative coordinator willing to cultivate all of his gifts. Simmons can cover an open space, rush the passer in blitzing situations, and chase down ball carriers from the weak side. Only an innovative coordinator can bring all of those skills to the fore against the world's best offenses. But whatever the fit, Simmons, a rare talent, is capable of making multiple Pro Bowls. This is Matt Smith for Locked On Clemson, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Isaiah Simmons, linebacker out of Clemson, is the pick at seven in that war room. If there was any argument, the two best players, I think, on the board, if you're looking at defenders, Isaiah Simmons, all that speed at linebacker, could even play safety for you. And Derek Brown, the defensive tackle, they went with the speed. They went with Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. Yeah, and I think a strong argument could be made for both. That would have been a fun debate, especially considering the state, the woeful state of the Panthers' D-line right now, that Brown would be a great building block. But one thing about Matt Rule, he's made it very clear, and this goes back to his college days, he covets speed. I mean, they're going to get speed in every position, and we've seen this organization have great success with Keekley as a foundational player as well. So that combination kind of just screams Isaiah Simmons to be the building block and quarterback of this defense, hopefully like Keekley was. Arizona Cardinals on the clock at pick number eight now. Looking at Isaiah Simmons and what kind of a player he is, he is absolutely the prototype for a modern-day linebacker with his ability to fly sideline to sideline versus the run, his ability to cover. And he's actually a really good blitzer and a pass rusher, so you can really deploy him in any alignment, in any spot, try to keep him clean and let his athleticism shine. And I love what you mentioned there about Matt Rule and the speed. And uh, how nice is it for the Panthers to be able to move on from a Hall of Fame linebacker and have the opportunity to jump in with a guy this talented? Right. I mean, I think it works out quite well. The versatility is absolutely huge. I have slight reservations about that because I know that Miles Jack wasn't the same player Isaiah Simmons is, but that sometimes lately some of these guys come out like Jack and they say, well, he could play corner, he could play linebacker, he could play safety, but you better know what you're doing with them on yeah. first and 10 against base personnel too. And you can't put too much on their plate. But his versatility is very intriguing. You mentioned he's a great blitzer slash pass rusher. You can just line him up on the edge against tackles, move him all over the place. So uh, I have no qualms with this pick at all. Works out quite well. And oh, by the way, he went to college nearby. You know, I mean, there's some ties like that too. And for the rest of that division, they're probably upset that the Panthers got maybe one of the guys that could have had a good shot at uh, trying to cover Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. Yeah, good point. Good point. All right, the Arizona Cardinals pick is in number eight overall. Is it the best defender left on the board in defensive tackle Derek Brown? Or as most expect, an offensive tackle. Pick your flavor offensive tackle group. Still three high-level prospects at that position group. Let's go to the Cardinals war room. 
Hey, it's Alex Clancy and Bo Brock from Locked On Cardinals. We're here to give you a little insight into why we chose the player we chose in number eight overall in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Show 2020. The Arizona Cardinals find themselves in a situation where because they're not going to trade up, a lot of the decisions will be made for them by the teams ahead of them in the 2020 draft. The Cardinals have been pinpointing offensive linemen at number eight overall. I think it's pretty obvious. There's a lot of mock drafts out there that had the Cardinals taking a wide receiver, but with the acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins, you can all but just take that off the board. Tristan Wirfs is said to be the number one offensive tackle or the number one offensive lineman for the Cardinals at that spot. With him going number six to the Giants after trade down by them, we, Bo, and I decided to take Jedrick Wills right tackle out of Alabama. And because this is such a position of need for the Cardinals, there was no funny business here. Derek Brown was on the board, but interior defensive lineman has been shore up a little bit with the signing of Jordan Phillips from Buffalo this offseason to a team-friendly deal. So Jedrick Wills seemed to be the, the easy choice. And moving forward, having DJ Humphreys and Jedrick Wills as the bookends to this much improved offensive line from a few years ago, I think it was the right move by Bo and I to make this decision. Bo, what do you think? Even if Werfs were still available, Alex, I don't believe a jury of his peers could without a shadow of a doubt name him the top tackle in this draft. Opinions vary between draft analysts, scouts, general managers on which offensive line prospect is the best. And some see it as Wills, some see it as Becton, some see it as Wirfs, some even see it as Andrew Thomas from Georgia. But after trading for DeAndre Hopkins and bolstering their wide receiver core, the priority became clear for the Arizona Cardinals. Protect Kyler Murray. General manager Steve Keim gave some love to one of the NFL's worst defenses this offseason with three big free agent additions. But as you mentioned, DJ Humphreys, he was resigned on a three-year deal And the Arizona Cardinals were returning the status quo in the offensive line, which surrendered 48 sacks to the rookie quarterback, Kyler Murray, tied him for first in the NFL in that category. Wills, he's a 6'4", 312-pound bulldozer. His game, tailor-made for the NFL. He started two years at perennial college football power Alabama for Nick Saban. And the only reason Wills was playing on the right side of the offensive line was because their quarterback's a lefty. He needed to protect to his blind side. His right tackle experience makes Wills even a better fit for the Arizona Cardinals after locking up Humphreys for the next three seasons, and Wills is going to compete for a starting job right away. And with the additions of Wills and Hopkins this offseason, Kyler Murray is the next second-year quarterback poised to break out and have the Arizona Cardinals jumping from sub-500 afterthought to potential playoff contenders in 2020. For Alex, I'm Bo Brock. It's Locked On Cardinals. Jedrick Wills, offensive lineman the University of Alabama. Another early entrant from the University of Alabama is taken in the first round. Who would have thunk it? Wills was a five-star prospect in his home state of Kentucky before eventually making his way to Tuscaloosa. While at Alabama, Wills lived up to the hype by playing in 11 games as a true freshman. Then, as a sophomore and junior, Wills was a full-time starter and all-SEC player. Though below average size-wise for a tackle at 6'4", 312 pounds, Wills has fantastic body control and a technique which make him a potential future All-Pro in the NFL. Wills has one SEC title ring, one national championship, and one other national championship appearance to his credit as well. You can check out Jimmy Stein and me, Luke Robinson, on Locked on Bama to find out about Jedrick Wills, and all the other Alabama NFL draft prospects. Interesting order for these offensive tackles to come off the board, Matt. It was Tristan Wirfs, the first tackle to the Giants at six, and now tackle number two is Jedrick Wills, eight overall to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Why do you think that the Cardinals liked Wills above the other tackles that are still available in this class? Well, it's funny because I did my tackle ranks over the weekend and Wills was my one. So if I had my choice, I would take Wills. But it's probably a little easier for Arizona, too, in that they just reinvested in D.J. Humphreys as their left tackle. Gilbert, their right tackle, I'm very familiar with with the Steeler days, a good player. He just can't stay on the field. But they brought him back on a short-term deal again. But right tackle's the bigger need, and that's where Wills you know, played every snap basically at Alabama. So plug him and play him instead of making him, you know, flip the side he's on makes absolute perfect sense to me. Derek Brown was considered though. 
I like the fit zone scheme, get mm-hmm. an athletic mover. Absolutely. And Jedrick Wills didn't blow up the combine like Tristan Wirfs did, but he had a really good combine and it kind of got under the radar. Most years, it'd be a slam dunk that Wills is the top tackle in this class. And I know he only played right tackle and you mentioned how they have their left tackle in place currently so that's fine for him to jump in in the NFL and play right tackle but he was protecting Tua's blind side uh, the folks at Alabama said that's why he was the right tackle if Tua was right-handed Jedrick Wills probably would have played left tackle at Alabama <laughs> so sense. he could absolutely move over there to the left side in the future for the Cardinals if they want him to all the screen passes they run he can get out and move he's a really good run blocker just so sound probably the highest floor Offensive tackle in this class to me. So uh, he's my top offensive tackle, too. And we mentioned how there might be a little bit of a bust factor for Tristan Wirfs as far as his ability at tackle. Some people project him into guard, but then he has the parachute of being able to play guard. I think Wills has that same parachute of he would be a fantastic guard, but I think he's got a better chance of being a really, really good offensive tackle in the NFL. Yeah, I 100% agree. And now, I mean, just one year ago, we looked at the Cardinals' offense and said, they need everything. This is the worst offense I ever saw. Now it's pretty close to complete. You know, I mean, you can use some things sprinkled in there, but pretty solid unit. Jacksonville Jaguars standing by there on the clock with the ninth pick in the locked-on NFL mock draft. Then it's the Cleveland Browns completing the top 10. When we come back, let's find out if there are any trades. I know the phones are ringing. There have been some trade talks With all of the teams involved in this day, I know some teams are trying to move up. Will it be Jacksonville at number nine? Jacksonville Jaguars pick is almost in. There's been some trade talk. It looks like there will be no activity for the ninth selection, Matt. Jacksonville at nine, the best players on the board. Derek Brown is still out there. There's still two offensive tackles, Andrew Thomas, Makai Becton, and the top three universal wide receivers in this draft, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, Javon Kinlaw's out there, C.J. Henderson. There's still a quarterback, Jordan Love. We'll see how teams feel about the fourth quarterback in this class. Uh, Where do you think the Jaguars' head is at with pick number nine, knowing they have another selection later in the first round at 20? This is a potential trade-back situation in that the Browns and Jets are coming up, the Raiders are coming up, the Niners are coming up. You would expect a tackle-wide receiver run to occur. Two tackles are already gone, so if you could get to nine, you could get your third tackle or your first receiver. And the Jags, to me, there isn't one guy that's logical. I mean, Akuda would be great. That just is an obvious fit slam dunk. But I appreciate what they did here. They have a ton of picks. They don't need to trade back. I, the highest ranked guy on the board for me is Derek Brown. And boy, they have invested in defensive linemen like crazy over the last three years, including picks, including big money. But they still need them. <laughs> so go get the best guy on the board. They've brought a lot of guys in. They've sent a lot of guys out. We'll see what yeah. happens with Yannick Ngakwe there. Potentially could get traded in this mock draft. He's on the franchise tag, does not want to play uh, in Jacksonville any longer. So an interesting team in Jacksonville. Defensive line is still in need and could completely revamp that thing. And I don't know if there's really a certain position group you could count out for Jacksonville right. right now, including quarterback. Let's go to the Jaguars war room and get the pick. The ninth pick in the NFL draft, the Jaguars had a couple of prime choices. Two players I really, really liked a lot were offensive tackle Mekhi Becton from Louisville as well as defensive tackle Derek Brown of Auburn. Both were on the board. I was pleasantly surprised that Arizona did not take one of the other, even though they did move for an offensive lineman. With that being said, I think it's imperative that the Jaguars add beef to an area where they've already added some players last year that look like their generational talents. That's why I'm choosing... Derek Brown, the defensive tackle from Auburn with the ninth pick overall for Jacksonville. I think adding him in a year after that you added Josh Allen, big time player who had 10 and a half sacks last year, also from the Southeastern Conference. I think it gives you a chance to address a need position, even though they have several need positions. But this gives you a chance to draft a need position and have that need position get really good, really fast in successive years. I think it was uh, H. Ross Perot, the late Ross Perot, that says, whatever you do good, just do that great and then work on everything else or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. So what I think the Jaguars do is I think they go back-to-back years to get a stud defensive lineman, this time in the middle at 6'5", 320-pound Derek Brown, 
from Auburn. It's a very, very much neat position because they got rid of over the last two or three years. They've actually let go three big time players in Malik Jackson, Calais Campbell and uh, Marcel Darius. So Jacksonville needs an influx of youth. They also need toughness and a playmaking ability. And then last year, they really, really, really struggled to stop the run. They struggled two years in a row, but they really, really struggled last year to stop the run. So therefore, I think adding Derrick Brown, who was the best defensive player in the Southeastern Conference, and I think they believe they've gotten now the two best players, uh, the best player in the last two drafts from the defensive standpoint in the SEC. And I know they value guys that play at big-time schools and big-time programs and that have a body of work in a good conference. So uh, the Jaguars have added Derrick Brown, and I think what we'll do is they have another uh, first-round pick at the 20th pick. We'll start to look and see if one of those offensive linemen will fall in the draft, see if one of those uh, developmental guys uh, that we expect to be there late in the first, early in the second will either rise up, will there be a move back, or – Will they be a wide receiver that the Jacksonville Jaguars value? Because Doug Marone just said in a press conference with the media that they really, really value adding speed and playmakers. Could that mean uh, Ruggs is in play? Who could that be? Well, we'll just have to wait and see what the Jaguars do. For right now, Jaguars added defensive tackle Derek Brown at the University of Auburn. Derek Brown, defensive tackle, Auburn. Brown had a ton of success leading the Auburn defense and appears ready to take the next step to the NFL. Teams love powerful defensive linemen that can make an impact on the pocket and affect opposing quarterbacks, and Brown showed time and time again in the SEC that his size, power, first step, and his strength were enough to create pandemonium in the backfield. Brown demanded to be double-teamed consistently and still made plays His team-first attitude allowed him to help other defenders shine this past season due to him demanding constant attention from opposing offenses. Brown is a stronger run defender than a pass rusher currently, but his first step and impact at the point of attack will allow him to stay on the field in key situations. It has been pointed out by NFL scouts that Brown could be inconsistent with his pad level and will need to work on staying low throughout games, but regardless... He is expected to be an instant starter in the NFL for the team that drafts him. This is Zach Blackerby with Locked On Auburn, your source for everything Auburn Tigers every single day. And they went best player available, Matt. Derek Brown, a monstrous human being, never moves backwards. In in all of the the games I watched of Derek Brown, not once did that guy take a step backwards. Uh, Just a huge mountain of a man, but nimble on his feet as well. Derek Brown goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars at number nine. Yeah, he doesn't go anywhere he doesn't want to go, and he takes people <laughs> where he wants them to go. And I haven't seen this officially yet. He re- he reran his three cone drill, and it was much better. And uh, I mean, not that that was a big concern, but it was an ugly performance at the combine. Who knows how much effort he put into it to to prepare for that? I had no qualms about his athleticism or ability to get up field or change direction or get low or any of those things. It's a great player. So what's that three years in a row with, you know, Brian and last year's first round pick too, that they've gone defensive line. They keep investing in it. Hopefully it starts to pay off for them, but um, take the best guy on the board and it's a need. So I think this isn't a difficult situation for him. Works out well. Yeah. And a nice pairing there. Josh Allen, very different guy, speed edge rusher. You got Derek Brown inside. Who's a monster and uh, a very good pick. I think for the Jacksonville Jaguars there. Get some foundational pieces there for what looks like a complete rebuild in Jacksonville. Now, pick 10, Cleveland Browns. And you see with the Cleveland Browns over and over again in every mock draft, an offensive tackle, there's still a couple of very good ones left on the board. Is there another direction that the Browns could go with pick 10? Because I almost feel like when you get mock drafts that are so focused in on one thing and one idea and one position and one player, it almost never happens. Like, it's not that easy. You cannot predict these things. I mean, would they jump on Derek Brown, perhaps? Would they be intrigued by Kinlaw? Would Simmons be too good to pass up? I tend to think that he would be. You know, you just grab that that multifaceted linebacker. They're not so strong up the middle of their defense. Safety inside linebacker DTs are okay. But if you see a supreme prospect, maybe you would, you know, get off course from the tackles position. Um, but those guys are gone, you know, so probably going to be tackle here. 
Let's find out. The pick is in for the Cleveland Browns. Jeff Lloyd standing by in the Locked On Browns war room. With the 10th overall selection in the Locked On 2020 NFL Mock Draft, the Cleveland Browns select offensive tackle from the University of Georgia, Andrew Thomas. The need for the offensive tackle position, especially left tackle, is huge. The Browns have been trying to fill this need for two years now since the retirement of Joe Thomas. They walked into this offseason needing two offensive tackles. We're able to get the right tackle established with the top prize on the market in Jack Conklin, formerly of the Tennessee Titans. What Andrew Thomas brings is a presence. Uh, Andrew Thomas has long been regarded the number one overall tackle prospect in this 2020 NFL draft class. Maybe because he was an underclassman, maybe because some guys tested a little bit better at the combine, which confuses me because Andrew Thomas tested well. He tested really well. Maybe he didn't test elite like a Tristan Wirfs or an Ezra Cleveland, but Andrew Thomas tested very well and would have lined up against many offensive tackles that have gotten top 10 over the last five to 10 years. Uh, he started his career at Georgia from day one as a starter on the right-hand side, played and started in that national championship game, lost to the University of Alabama. As the years have gone on, Thomas established himself on the left side over the last two years. Just solid, functional, does exactly what he does. I think maybe one of the things people have and the issue maybe people have with Andrew Thomas is he is just too safe, which I do understand, I do get, but Andrew Thomas is what you need. Safe is good in this day and age. You don't want to gamble in the top 10. You want to be able to say, this is what this player is, and this is what this player does. And that is what Andrew Thomas does. He moves well enough to fit into the wide zone that Kevin Stefanski likes. He is a tenacious enough pass blocker. Go to the LSU tape against Chieson. Many uh, who view him a top 20 pass rusher in this class. Andrew Thomas had his way with him counter move. It was there on every one of these plays. Um, it's a fantastic selection. Young man about soon to be 22 years old. Andrew Thomas at 10 overall for the Cleveland Browns is a slam dunk. Uh, obviously in this scenario, Tristan Wirfs went a little bit sooner. I do think Tristan Wirfs fits the roll a little bit better just due to the elite athleticism, but make no mistake about it. Andrew Thomas is the pick here. It is certainly worthy. He will come in and he will start a foundation for what is a fantastic offensive line for rookie head coach Kevin Stefanski in his debut with the Cleveland Browns. All right, Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle, University of Georgia, 6'5", 320 pounds, uh, all SEC, first team, offensive tackle. Uh, Andrew Thomas is an all-around tackle. He is not a pass protector. He is not a run blocker. Uh, he does not have deficiencies or weaknesses uh, that are worth really mentioning here. He is uh, he is a truly all-around tackle. He is a guy that you put in to the lineup and forget about him. He emerged his freshman year. He was not the most talented or the most highly rated prospect in his class, but quickly became obvious that he was uh, by far the best talent on the offensive line in his class, a title that he never relinquished during his time at the University of Georgia. Andrew Thomas is a guy that you don't hear his name a bunch, which is the best compliment of offensive lineman can get. He's going to go in, do his job, pass protect, run block, not forget assignments. From the day he stepped on at UGA, he supplanted himself against the offensive line. He was a semifinalist for the Outland Trophy, the best offensive lineman in all of NCAA football. Uh, he is not going to be a Logan Megan's type road grader or a Joe Thomas type grinder. He's going to be stable, present force every single play uh, where he can go into any scheme, any protection. He is smart. He is athletic. He moves quick for his size. Uh, he is, in my opinion, the best offensive lineman in this entire draft. He's going to be somebody that for the next 10 years is going to do just fine. Absolutely. I think by far he has the highest floor of any offensive lineman in this draft. I don't know that he has the highest ceiling, but he definitely has the highest floor. Andrew Thomas is a can't-miss type of prospect. This has been Daniel and Clint for the Locked On Bulldogs podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, where we talk about UGA sports every single day, five days a week. And it was the tackle. Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. They went Thomas over Becton. It's interesting that the two tackles that went first were the guys that played right tackle in 2019 in college and the guys who played on the left side, Thomas and Becton, going later. Becton now still on the board in this draft. They went with the guy who started for three years in the SEC in Andrew Thomas for Cleveland.
I bet that was a difficult choice. You know, they both, like you said, are left tackles, which I think is better for them because they just invested so much in the right tackle position in Jack Conklin. Conklin's much more of a masher in the run game, as is Becton. I think they'll be a run-first type of team. Not that Thomas is a bad run blocker at all. He's a really good prospect. And I always talk about him as most years he's the first tackle off the board. And most years you say, wow, what a really good combine by Andrew Thomas. But some of these other guys were a little freakier. But he's experienced, as you mentioned. I have no qualms with it at all. I, I trust Thomas a little bit more than Becton, though, in protection. I agree. When you look at the analytics, the pro football focus, Becton is well outside of those other top three as far as how well he actually played. And there's a lot of projection involved in the conference he played in. And and if you look at a highlight reel, you would say, oh, man, Becton's probably the best tackle in this class. But the entire when you look at the body of work and to play in that conference and play at the level that Andrew Thomas did and you mentioned Conklin on the right side. You start to think about this pick more, and it makes more and more sense with the fit of Andrew Thomas playing that left tackle position. And if I had to rank these offensive tackles, not for as overall prospects, not for what they're going to be in three years as NFL players, but if I had to, in week one in the 2020 season, play one guy at left tackle, I might pick Andrew Thomas. I think I would. You know, For day one, week one, you're talking about, right? Just right, boom. exactly. Yeah, I agree. Let's find out what Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak of Locked On NFL Draft think about the first three picks here. The first four picks, 7, 8, 9, and 10 on day two of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. Hey everybody, Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak from the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Back with you again to recap picks 7 through 10 here on this Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. Ben Isaiah Simmons lasts all the way to number 7, but Carolina could not let him get past number 7. Do we think that this is probably going to be the pick? I mean, man, if he's still on the board, that's got to be hard to say no. Well, it's tricky because you've had such good linebacker play in Carolina for so long that if you're able to take the best linebacker of the 2010s in Luke Keekley and replace him with potentially one of the best linebackers of the 2020s in, in, in Isaiah Simmons, it's just it's too good of a transition of a baton handoff to pass up. I totally understand why they went after the pick. Yeah, it makes sense. Two more offensive tackles go as well. Arizona Cardinals went Jedrick Wills at number 8, and then the Cleveland Browns went Andrew Thomas at number 10. We've often seen the Cleveland Browns get mocked Tristan Wirfs. We know that Kevin Stefanski probably likes that kind of offensive lineman, but here he gets Andrew Thomas. They probably won't be complaining too much about that, will they? No, listen, Andrew Thomas is also going to fit a lot of the measurable requirements that you're going to get from an analytic-driven front office under Andrew Barry in Cleveland. And with the way that they're starving for a starting left tackle, a three-year starter in the SEC, you can't turn your nose up at it. And then for uh, Arizona with, with Jedrick Wills, again, you're you're desperately starved for a starter opposite DJ Humphreys. Jedrick probably now gets right. to start on the, on the right side and Humphreys goes to the left side. Wills is not going to have to maintain blocks for a long time because of how quickly Kyler Murray gets the ball out and he's a delightful mover in space which they need in that running game with all that said though i think probably the best trench pick has to belong to jacksonville at nine grabbing Derek brown after cutting marcel darius after trading calais campbell with Taven bryan struggling we know how much they value the defensive trenches they continue to just reload first round picks of the position and Derek brown's an absolute stud yeah investing in the trenches never a bad idea right Derek brown sitting next to josh allen whoo man that's a scary sight. We got the New York Jets coming up next at number 11. Stick around. The New York Jets are now on the clock with the 11th selection in the Locked On NFL mock draft. We've got Jets, Raiders, 49ers finishing up the show today unless a team moves in here to 11, 12, or 13. And I got to believe, Matt, this is where that wide receiver run could start. And if a team was to try to move up, that might be the position they're trying to get, or maybe that last offensive tackle that's still on the board that most people believe is the end of tier one in Mekhi Becton. Yeah, I mean, they they also have big needs at corner and edge, but there isn't one of those to divert my attention from helping Sam Darnold. And it would really come down to me, do you want Becton or do you want your choice of wide receivers? Which to me... The more I watch this receiver class, Jerry Judy's my number one, with all respect to the other great ones in the class. So do you want your one receiver, if it was me in the GM room, or a massive human being at left tackle 
which could really help Darnold's life as well as create a lot of space in the run game. So that's an interesting conversation. You can make a strong case for both. Either way, you're helping out Sam Darnold. And mm-hmm. that's got to be, if not, the, if not the number one goal, maybe the only goal of the 2020 draft for the Jets, right? Help the young man out for the love of God. Yeah, they haven't been so great at doing that. And, you know, I mean, a guy like Lev Bell is useful, but he's a little past his prime. Perryman's a nice pickup. But give me a number one type of weapon somewhere in this passing game and give me a number one type of offensive lineman as opposed to kind of the mishmash they've been throwing at the offensive line this offseason. And the pick is in. Let's go to the Jets. War Room and find out the selection for New York at pick 11. This is John Butchko, the host of Locked On Jets, and with the 11th pick in the Locked On NFL mock draft, the Jets select Mekhi Becton, tackle out of Louisville. I think the Jets need to focus on one of two positions with this pick. It either has to be a tackle or it has to be a wide receiver. Last year, the offensive line was a disaster for the Jets. Its poor play really prevented the offense from functioning most weeks. And the wide receiver position is pretty weak right now for the Jets as well. They lost Robbie Anderson in free agency. Now they did sign Brashad Perryman, and they do have Jamison Crowder, but that's not really a core you want to build your receiver group around. So the question came down to tackle or wide receiver, and I went with tackle. Now the Jets did sign George Fant in free agency, and they do have last year's third-round pick Chuma Edoga returning, but this is a team that really needs to focus on building its offensive line. They have not drafted an offensive lineman in the first round since 2006 when they took to Brickashaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold back-to-back, and Jets have rarely invested an early pick in the offensive line since. You think back to Vlad Dukas in 2010 or Brian Winters in 2013 or Idoga last year. So the Jets need to get some young talent on this offensive line. And of the players who are generally considered the the top tier of the tackles, Becton was the, the last remaining after Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, and Andrew Thomas already went off the board. I think part of one of the things that comes into play here is that the Jets probably will not get one of the top receivers in this class, but the second tier at the receiver position is really good. This is a very deep class at the receiver position, so I felt like the Jets, even if they're not going to get somebody at the Judy or Lamb level in the first round of this class, can get somebody who's almost as good in the second round. And Becton is a guy who has a ton of upside. He's he's a huge prospect at at the tackle position and he's also very athletic Uh, so this is a guy who really could become a cornerstone player on the offensive line and when you have a young quarterback you want to make sure the left tackle position is taken care of every offensive line position is important in today's nfl but the left tackle still blocks the guy your quarterback cannot see so if beckham develops properly he'll be the kind of guy you won't have to worry about sam darnold taking a hit from his blind side so ultimately this this was my pick because i just think that the offensive line is the top priority for the jets and i think becton can go a long way towards solidifying that for a long time There are many offensive tackle prospects in the upcoming NFL draft, but few are as intriguing as Louisville offensive tackle Mekhi Becton. Becton is 6'7", 364 pounds. He's a draft-eligible junior from Highland Springs, Virginia. He only did two things at the Combine, but did them incredibly well. He ran a 5-1-40 and did 23 reps on the bench at the Combine. He played both tackle positions during his Louisville career, Becton was just a three-star recruit and the 42nd-ranked offensive tackle in the Scout.com rankings before he arrived at Louisville, however. He's the winner of the 2019 Jacobs Blocking Trophy, and he became the first offensive lineman in Louisville history to be named first-team All-ACC. He graded out better than 80% in eight of his games last year and registered over 60 knockdown blocks. Becton impressed scouts and evaluators with his performance against Clemson. The Tigers featured talent in every defensive position and employed nearly every possible scheme against him, and he successfully neutralized much of Clemson's defensive pressure. Becton has a seven-foot wingspan. He was a center when he played high school basketball, so he's got obvious athleticism. NFL Network and Fox Sports analyst Brian Baldinger says Becton could be a left tackle in the league for 10 years, and quoting him here, 
I think he's got the feet to play left tackle in this league for a long time. Becton is a mauling road grader tackle who paced a Cardinal Rush offense that ranked 24th best among FBS clubs, third best in the ACC last season. They rushed for just shy of 213 yards per game. Becton is just the 50th overall player in the pro football focus rankings and the fifth offensive tackle because of his lack of experience in a pro-style pass game. PFF notes his eight quarterback pressures allowed in 73 dropbacks in true passing sets. The site says of him, having had to flip sides based on the strength of the formation as a freshman and sophomore didn't help Becton's development, but that's still more projection than we'd like at the top of the draft. There's also reason to be concerned about Becton's first step in pass protection and whether or not he could be tied up by quicker edge rushers with good technique. Also, with his height, leverage could be an issue in a league where low man wins is the usual slogan. Becton has franchise potential at the tackle position and should be a solid pick early on for nearly any team. He may be a better fit for a team with a mobile quarterback that would allow him additional protection through scheme if the play does break down. This is Brian Wilmer of Locked On ACC, your source for ACC content every day. Makai Becton to New York at 11, a gargantuan offensive tackle. We just heard about what kind of prospect he is. The top four tackles, the run is over, and Becton is now off the board to the Jets. And I'm sure the Raiders are happy now because they can get their choice of receiver. I would have went Judy. I mean, I just said that you can make a strong case either way. I think Judy's just a higher-graded prospect. I understand that in the second round, there'll be receivers. Maybe you get Denzel Mims or Rager or somebody. I mean, there'll be somebody enticing there, but it's also a pretty deep tackle class. Um, again, I, I won't, would not be too critical of this pick. I just think Jerry Judy's the best receiver in this draft. That's, I think, would have helped Arnold the most. The way that the Jets' offseason went so far and putting so much dollar resources into the offensive line might have set things up for them to draft wide receiver early, but I can't fault them for trying to get that left no. tackle because it's not like they went to the top of the market with those free agent offensive linemen and they they got a lot of bodies in there on the offensive line but try to hit the home run and really get that long-term blindside protector there in Makai Becton so I can't really fault them for going tackle or wide receiver even though I agree with you about who the best receiver is in this class I will say though Becton has maybe one of my favorite highlight plays where he literally escorted a defensive end like the movie blindside Michael Orr style off of the field from and it wasn't he it wasn't like he was on the move and knocked a guy out of bounds. He took a defensive end from the formation all the way off of the football field. So he has that kind of ability, some wow plays, knocking people off their feet. Some things to work on though. Can he get there as a football player? The Jets are betting on it. Uh, that means the Raiders have their choice of wide receivers if they would like to go there. But I do think that the Jets. It's smart in that if you want to if you want this draft class to work for you, I think there's a better chance of getting a starting caliber really good wide receiver in round 2, 3 than there is offensive tackle. So when you look at it through that lens, I think tackle at 11 makes more sense. I agree. I would have went well, I don't agree. I would have went Judy, but I do think the the crop of receivers in round 2 are both very intriguing and deep. And I think we both kind of have the same point that the wide receiver core and the offensive line for the Jets are both lacking a number one. I mean, there's a bunch of guys, yeah. but they need a number one. Another little nugget about the Jets passing game is I still have high hopes for Chris Herndon. You know, Le'Veon Bell is a very quarterback friendly receiver, too. So that could lean people in Becton over Judy, too. You know, you have some guys that can catch the ball at other positions. Let's go Las Vegas Raiders now. And I want to pat myself on the back, Matt. Because I said Las Vegas Raiders, and I didn't use the name <laughs> of the old town they used to play in. And I was worried I was going to do that. I got it right. The Las Vegas Raiders now on the clock with pick 12. Is it going to be wide receiver? And if it is going to be wide receiver, it sounds like you think Judy is the top pick and would make sense for the Raiders. Or do you like a different fit for the Raiders than you did for the Jets? Well, I think Al Davis would sure like Henry Ruggs. You know, <laughs> I yes. mean, boy, are they a marriage made in, you know, wherever. Um I would go Judy. I think he's clearly the wide receiver one. I um, really think he's a phenomenal prospect, exactly what they need. Then Terrell Williams becomes your two, and Waller's a, not as reliant, you know, not as reliant on him. And you got a good group of receivers. And everyone, kind of like the Browns pick, has mocked a receiver here. I think there's an outside chance you go with someone like CJ Anderson and take that logic of I'll get my receiver later. They do have a pick coming up again in the first round. But if it's me, I'm taking Judy here. 
Let's find out who the selection is for the Raiders at 12. Is it a wide receiver? Is it Judy? Is it Lamb? Is it Ruggs? Do they go another direction? Your boy Q standing by in the Locked On Raiders War Room. What's up? It's your boy Q from Locked On Raiders Podcast here to give the 12th pick of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft 2020. A lot of good selections that the Raiders could pick at number 12. Was actually thinking about trying to trade up into the draft a little bit higher into the, the top 10, trying to go get Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker out of Clemson. But Carolina had him on the board at number seven. So instead of trying to, to go get anyone else, I really didn't think there was anyone else worth trying to go up and trade. Jeffrey Akuda had already gone off the board, number three to the Lions. Simmons at number seven to the Panthers. So I felt like the best decision was just to stay pat and see how it all unfolded and figured that, you know, the Raiders, one of their biggest needs is wide receiver. Matter of fact, probably their biggest needs is number one wide receiver. They just don't have a true blue number one guy. So at number 12, figured they'd get one of the big three, that being CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, or Henry Ruggs. And there's a lot of conversation back and forth. Henry Ruggs has that versatility and that speed, makes him very Tyreek Hill-like. So I thought about what he could do in that John Gruden offense and thought about that speed, maybe put him back as a kick returner. And just, again, you can't teach speed and you're trying to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And so you kind of want to beat them with their own weapons. And then I moved up to Jerry Judy and thought about him and his elite route running skills and his release off the line of scrimmage is is second to none. Uh, He has his own ability. Henry Ruggs and and, uh, Jerry Judy both were on the same team in Alabama, and they really shine, obviously, with Tua as the quarterback. But then I just go to CeeDee Lamb, the wide receiver out of Oklahoma, and realize that he's uh, a strong guy. He's not as fast as the other two. Obviously, he's the slowest of all three, but he has really good hands. He's really, really strong, got the upper and lower body strength. He'll go up and get you a 50-50 ball. He'll uh, get those yak yards that you need. He's a, he's a monster when it comes to getting into the end zone. He'll find a way to get into the end zone, just kind of bully his way into the end zone. And uh, not to mention Pro Football Focus put out a stat the other day saying that in his three years at college at Oklahoma, never dropped a ball that was a deep ball, and they consider a deep ball 20-plus yards. So never dropped one. He had one that hit the ground versus LSU, but there was a holding penalty on the play. So obviously that didn't count, but it just lets you know that he has really, really good hands. Now, do I think he's going to go his NFL career and not drop a ball? No, not at all. But just knowing that he has secure, strong hands, something that the Raiders need. Uh, They tried to make an attempt last season to go and get A.B. and and make the trade for him, put him on the roster. That didn't shake out. So John Gruden still needs a number one wide receiver. So with the number 12 pick in the 2020 locked-on NFL draft, the Raiders select CeeDee Lamb, wide receiver out of Oklahoma. C.D. Lamb, Oklahoma wide receiver. In three seasons as a Sooner, Lamb notched 173 receptions for 3,292 yards and 32 receiving touchdowns. In the 2019 Red River Rivalry versus number 11 Texas, Lamb had 171 yards on 10 catches for three touchdowns in Oklahoma's 34-27 win over the Longhorns, making it the best game of his career. At 6'2 and 198 pounds, Lamb is explosive on the play and his nine and a quarter inch hands lend himself to be reliable on the catch in conjunction with his ability of having superior arm extension. Lamb doesn't shy away from adjusting his body to make and protect a challenging deep catch and exposes coverage in such a way that he ends up torching most cornerbacks that he faces. One criticism he's gotten so far is that his routes need to be more calculated and determined. And though he has the ability to torch corners for the deep ball, he's also been criticized as not truly being challenged by cornerbacks that he's faced so far. But as we've seen a lot before with a lot of players who have the physical tools to make it to the next level, a lot of the routes can be tightened up because of the caliber of the coaches that they're going to be working with are going to be better and you flat out just can't coach people to be bigger stronger and faster than other people this is brian moot and jasmine sadry of locked on big 12 your source for big 12 content every day the first wide receiver in the locked on nfl mock draft special is off the board and it is cd lamb of oklahoma matt how do you like the fit of lamb to las vegas I like Lamb a lot. I mean, I think he's a great player. Again, I prefer Judy in a bubble, and I prefer him for Vegas as well. thought I'd call him Oakland, too. But I'm sitting here thinking, I mean, Mariota's a very conservative passer. Carr's a very conservative passer. Lamb is the -the after-the-catch guy, you know, shorter to intermediate routes. Not that he can't get deep, but um, which one would Carr prefer, Lamb versus Judy? I would still go Judy, but I could make an argument of through Carr's eyes and playing to my quarterback strengths that Lamb's pretty attractive. That brings us to the San Francisco 49ers. Matt, I am 
the GM of the 49ers in this. So we don't have to toss to anybody when the selection is in. I have a pretty good idea of the way I'm going to go here. Uh, I, I'm going to put it to you to tell me who you think I should select. I think we probably before. know. But uh, real quick, I want to talk about CeeDee Lamb and the fit with the Raiders. When I was looking at the Raiders and, and Mayock, what we've seen from Mayock so far, what we know about the type of players and prospects. One thing that we've never really had is someone like Mayock who became a GM, but we saw him on TV for years. We know the tendencies that Mayock has and looking at his draft last year with the Raiders, we kind of know what the Gruden Mayock plan is. And that's tough guys, mentally tough, physically tough players. If you look at the wide receivers here, the guy who could be the target hog, the guy that could be a bully at the wide receiver position. I think CD lamb, his mentality, the way he plays, I think his run after catchability in Gruden's offense, I think a lot of that stuff starts to fit, and I can really see the Raiders, Mayock, Gruden, all really falling in love with CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, and that's a good point about Mayock. Like, there aren't other GMs in the league that we can go look at their draft board for the last five right. years. <laughs> you know, that's not public knowledge, but it is in Oakland, or in Vegas, I just did it. Um, and your point's a good one, too. I mean, Gruden has heavy... West Coast roots, you know, get the ball out quick, slant, break a tackle, Jerry Rice, you know, I mean, um, you, you could see why you would like Lamb. I mean, again, Al Davis would have taken rugs. All right, 49ers, I am on the clock here. Pick 13, it's the last selection in today's episode of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft. Any words of advice before I turn in my card, Matt? No, you and I have talked about this one for months now, and I have a feeling the Niner blood in you is pretty excited with what you have to choose from. Right, and I got some trade offers, and there there have been teams. There's a lot of talk with trades behind the scenes here in this mock draft. I do want to reveal that fact, and uh, there have been multiple calls to me about the 49ers picks in round one, but I thought the Niners were in too good of a spot here standing pat, waiting for the draft board to fall to them. If it wasn't a wide receiver, it was going to be a very good player at another position, offensive tackle, defensive tackle, cornerback, all would be fine fits for the 49ers. Allow the draft to fall to you. Draft one of the 16 or so blue chip prospects that we've talked about in this draft. They're in a great place to do it at pick 13. And to me, and it sounds like to you, Matt, the best player at wide receiver in the draft is still on the board. Perfect fit for the 49ers with the 13th selection in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft. The San Francisco 49ers select Jerry Judy, wide receiver, Alabama. That's an easy one. I, the last two teams, I just said I would have taken Judy. I understand why the Jets and Raiders didn't, but he's the highest graded player on the board. Fits well, you know, gives you guys yet another weapon, matching him with Samuel and Kittle and, you know, that scheme. I bet this was not a very difficult decision for you. But I do have a quick question when you get a chance. Yeah, it, it was not difficult. And and what I'll say about the fit and why Judy even makes more sense for the 49ers. And, and I talked about how I could see Lamb being a fit for the Raiders, even though I, I like Judy better than Lamb by a little bit. And it, it's pretty close, I think, with these top three wide receivers. I like all three of them. If Henry Ruggs was the last wide receiver on the board for the 49ers, I would have no problem going there. I think all three in their own way fit what Kyle Shanahan likes to do on offense. But for Judy, he is absolutely a Shanahan type. Knowing Shanahan's tendencies for the last three years being head coach and then looking back when he was an offensive coordinator and having some say probably in draft rooms, the number one thing he wants is a separator and nobody separates like Jerry Judy. The explosion out of uh, his breaks off the line of scrimmage, the way he can get open in the first two seconds of a route. And we talked about CeeDee Lamb's ability after the catch. Jerry Judy is no slouch after the catch either, and he's got a little bit better top speed. So he can threaten a defense vertically. He can make plays after the catch with a graceful stride. Maybe I don't want to put this kind of voodoo on Jerry Judy, but reminiscent of another Jerry that used to play for the 49ers. You know, oh, wow. slender frame, the way... You can run after the catch with a graceful stride. Uh, just clinical precision as a route runner. Like, he is a craftsman when it comes to running routes and using his feet. It's just boom, boom, in and out of his breaks. He loses guys as a pure separator and his route running ability. So that's why Kyle Shanahan, I think, will have Jerry Judy as his top receiver in this class. So he's a Shanahan guy, but he's also different from... Debo Samuel, which I think is the other reason why he's a perfect fit for the 49ers. And you have, you know, Jerry Judy, who can be on one side, 
Debo on the other. Both players can play outside and win outside. Both players can run after the catch. Both players could move around and so much motion in Kyle Shanahan's offense and run routes from the slot. So for that reason, he's different enough from Debo, but also is a perfect fit opposite him because their skills don't completely overlap. And he's absolutely a Shanahan guy. Jerry Judy, my selection there for the 49ers. And it was a pretty easy one. You're right. I bet. And here's my two quick questions for you. If the Niners would have been the first pick of today's podcast at seven. Would you still have gone Judy? I have a hunch you would have. And what if it would have came down to Ruggs versus Kinlaw? Which direction would you have went if those were your two options? The first day uh, or the first selection of today's mock draft, that means Isaiah Simmons is still on the board, Derek Brown, Jedrick Wills. I have all three of those players ranked very high. Yeah. If you're just looking at a blank roster, I would have Isaiah Simmons overall on my board higher than Jerry Judy. And there's arguments for both Wills and Derek Brown. It'd be very hard to not take Judy. I, I might go Isaiah Simmons just because he was the best player on the board. And, yeah. and you're going BPA there. And it's odd for a team that just was in the Super Bowl to be drafting this high. So even getting you know a guy that I think is a top 10 player in this class, Jerry Judy at 13, is really an amazing return for the San Francisco 49ers. Obviously, they had to give up DeForest Buckner to have this pick. But um, yeah, that would have been a much d- more difficult decision if the Niners were at 7 rather than than 13. Uh, the other question there was between Ruggs and Kinlaw. Right. If, that, if it came down to those two, would you still have gone receiver? I think so. I think the 49ers have somewhat painted themselves into a corner with this selection in round one because they don't need depth necessarily at wide receiver. They don't need competition for the third, fourth guy uh, in the wide receiver room. They have a lot of question marks, and it could be a really good wide receiver room, but right now there's nobody you could pencil in with confidence to be a high-level starter next to Debo Samuel. So I think that's what they need to find most in this draft, both short-term and long-term. And Ruggs might not be as plug-and-play as Jerry Judy, but I think I would go Ruggs over the interior defensive linemen. Both are high-ceiling players. I'd go with the wide receiver because if you wait, and the 49ers right now don't have a selection between 31 and 156, if the right guy's not there at 31, now you're drafting a fifth-round wide receiver that might not really be much better than anything you have in-house at the position. So I would probably have still gone rugs for the 49ers uh, in round yeah. one. Go big or go home. Give me a starter right. that can really impact things. Let's go win it all. Right. And once Emmanuel Sanders left in free agency, it was like, okay, I think I can see where the direction is going for the 13th pick. Cause you need that starter. You need that one, a one B with Debo Samuel. And I think you'd be very satisfied with any of those three. Jerry Judy wide receiver. The University of Alabama. Judy is everything you think about when you hear that a wide receiver hails from the South Florida area. The former Bolitnikoff winner, which signifies college football's best pass catcher, has the size at six foot one, 195 pounds, the speed, and the ball awareness any general manager looks for. However, Judy's best trait is his ability to juke defenders right out of their cleats. Whether it's at the line of scrimmage or after he catches the ball, Judy can make even the best defensive back look foolish. Judy's route running is also widely considered to be the best of this year's receiver class. Judy finished his three-year career at Alabama with 42 touchdowns, 2,700 yards, and 159 catches. All of those are in the top 10 of Alabama record books. You can find out more about Jerry Judy and all other Alabama players and everything going on in Tuscaloosa listening to me and Jimmy Stein on Locked On Battle. Obviously, I think that was an excellent selection by me. I wonder what Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino of the Draft Dudes and the DraftNetwork.com think about Judy to the 49ers and the rest of the selections here on day two of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft. Okay, Joe. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino here of the Draft Dudes, and we want to break down today's action. It did not disappoint, Joe, as we look at who came off the board, when they came off the board. Was there a surprise for you, somebody who stood out in a good way or a bad way for when their name was called in the midst here of this first third of this mock draft? Yeah, I think all the picks that came off the board were logical. They fit needs with players that were worth the selection. I just kind of look at this landscape of teams, whether it's the Panthers 
or the 49ers, two teams that I think would love to trade back and stockpile some capital. Obviously, the Panthers in a rebuild, the 49ers that are kind of missing picks after the first round and, and, and a lot of needs to fill depth that, you know, the order held true today and teams just kind of stayed where they were, made picks. Now, there were some good picks made here, and um, I just thought maybe there would be a chance to see some movement that didn't happen. Well, when we got our answer to whether or not the offensive tackles or wide receivers would be gone first, uh, we saw all big of the big four offensive tackles off the board by the 11th pick, Mackay Becton going to the Jets. That, to me, was a bit of a surprise. The Jets are that swing team that you could have seen them go with wide receiver. They could have gone with offensive tackle. They opted to go with offensive tackle four and bet on the wide receiver depth later in this draft class. They pick again at 48. So, Joe, as we look forward to, to subplots and storylines moving forward from here, what stands out to you? Well, I mean, the like you mentioned, the offensive tackles came off the board, all of them by number 11, and the receivers started to come off the board, but there's still one left, Henry Ruggs, and uh, I'm sure that uh, the next teams on the board, on the order here will definitely be in the market to get a dynamic playmaker like Ruggs, who I think is my, maybe the best receiver in the draft. That's it for us today. Looking forward to what promises to be a very fun slate of picks that's coming your way tomorrow. So it's pretty clear, Matt, that you ask three people who the best receiver in this draft is, ask four people who the best offensive tackle is in this draft, and you'll get a bunch of different answers. When it comes to day three of this mock draft, looking ahead tomorrow, pick 14, it is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the clock, then the Broncos, Falcons, Cowboys, but I happen to know there is some heavy trade talk here happening early and often on day three of this mock, and at this point, I'd be surprised if the teams that actually have those picks are selecting and potentially at number 14 to kick off tomorrow's show. Yeah, and you mentioned people were on the phone with you to try to get your pick mm -hmm. for the Niners, and now I think there's going to be a lot of action in these next couple days, trades and a lot of different things going on. I would imagine the Bucks, who are set to lead off tomorrow, aren't thrilled that the top four tackles are gone. Absolutely. So that would make me believe that they're even more willing to trade down. And we'll find out tomorrow. Tune in to Tuesdays, day three of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft. We've got picks 14 through 20 right here, Locked On NFL.